So I was thinking about today, and I was trying to prepare my heart for what I felt the Lord had for us, and took me back to one of my first experiences in ministry, and I want to share it with you. So, excuse me, um, when I first started out over 20 years ago, one of my first opportunities was to, to lead children. So I got to do children's ministry, and I was doing children's summer camps. And I had about 600 elementary students that I got to lead and direct camp for. One of the things that they loved to do, one of their favorite things, was to play dodgeball. Anyone like dodgeball? It's a great game. It gets a bad rap. Great game. So we played dodgeball. And when you have 600 elementary students all wanting to play dodgeball all the time, You've got to come up with some variations. You've got to come up with some creative ways. You've got to go with different versions. And one of my favorite versions of dodgeball is actually called jail ball. You see, if you want to, let, if you want to teach a kid to lie to you, okay, play dodgeball. All right? Seriously. How many times have you watch elementary students get hit with the ball and go, I'm not out? Because they want to stay in. When you get hit, you got to get out. So jail ball gives you an opportunity to stay active. You get restricted, but you're active. Jail, when you get hit, you go to jail. And it's on the backside of your opponent. And now, when every ball that comes through your team that you're, you're opposing, the ball comes to jail, you can pick it up and you can actually hit the team you're playing. So now, if you're playing jail ball, you can get hit from the front, from the back. you got to be kind of on your guard all the time. Okay? And one of the things that I, uh, I remember, there's a number of ways to get out of, out of jail, but one of the things that my kids loved is when Justin would blow the whistle and just yell a collective jailbreak, all right? All the, 600 little elementary students running from one side of the gym to the other, Wah! you know, just trying to run back to their side, get back to their side. They could not be hit on their opponent's side. But the moment they crossed the line, fair game. Okay, they could be targeted. And so they could be hit the moment they got back to their side. I say all this to say, I feel like many of us as adults had put that image in my mind as we were inching towards the end of 2020, hoping for the ball to drop on that year. And it's as if when we saw 21, we were going to have some collective jailbreak. And everyone was going to get to run back to life as it was before. Run back to, ah! And then this week happened, and it's like we were running to our side. We crossed the line, and we got sucker punched. Like a ball just nailed us, sent us right back to jail. And the beauty about it is this. Even in jail ball, the reason kids love jail ball is because in jail, while they're restricted, they're still active. They're still a participant in the game. They're not out of the game. Church, we're headlong in the middle of this pandemic, and we don't know when it's going to change. But we can't bank our freedoms on answers to the pandemic or in American politics. Our true freedom biblically comes by two words the Bible tells us. And that is the intersection of spirit and truth. And that's found in the person of Jesus. And so if you have found yourself looking at 2021 with a little bit of like, oh gosh, can we just go back to the way 2020 left us? Let me encourage you. The church is active. Though there may be restrictions globally for all of us, 
The person of Jesus has not changed, though our circumstances have. And in him we find true freedom. And in him the church is still extremely active. Amen? So be encouraged. This year we have two words that we're going to focus our intention on. We're focused on true freedom. And that's found at the intersection of spirit and in truth. I'm going to show you two examples of Jesus' interaction with people today where we see this come up. But in John 8, to start... Jesus was having an interaction. This is, a, a, this is not the part of the sermon. This is just an explanation. I want to give it to you. In John 8, Jesus is having an interaction with the Pharisees. These are religious elite. Okay? They are very educated, very trained. And they look at Jesus and they say, We are Abraham's children. We are the chosen of God, separated. And we are God's chosen people. And Jesus looks at them and he says... You're not Abraham's children, because if you were Abraham's children, you would respond to God the way that Abraham did. But you're seeking to kill me just for telling you the truth. He said in John 8, 31, if you hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciple. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In like form, Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 had an argument with the church at Corinth. As they started inching themselves back towards Judaism, started inching themselves back towards their heritage and practice of law. He said, no, the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. So the Bible tells us that true freedom comes at the intersection of truth and spirit. And both have to be evident for us to find true freedom. The interactions I want to show you today actually... One of them is Jesus proclaiming this himself to a woman that he pursued in John 4. And then I want to show you an interaction with another Pharisee that happened in the chapter just preceding that in John 3. So, Jesus actually prophesies to this reality as he's evangelizing the Samaritan woman in John 4. He says this, John 4 verse 20, A woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come for the true worshipers who will worship the the Father in spirit and in truth. And this is the key. I want you to catch this. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. I don't know about you, but I want to be the kind of worshiper that the Father seeks. Amen? Amen. I'm the kind of worshiper that the Father comes close to and wants to be present with. So 24 says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now this is the beauty of this whole conversation. The woman turned to him and said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. He has just told her everything about her life without provocation. Then Jesus declared, I the one who am speaking to you. And he, this is the affirmation she was looking for. So what we see here in this passage is this. You can write this down. Jesus sought the least of us. Jesus sought the sinner. This woman was a person who was of a nationality, who was of a gender, and of a character decision, like of choices in life that were so flawed, it would have forbade any Jewish man to speak to her publicly without taking his own life into his hands. In fact, his own people, her own people, Samaritans, wouldn't talk to her, male or female. They ostracized her. They isolated her. They avoided her like the plague. They stayed away from her. She was an outcast. 
And it says at the beginning of John 4 that Jesus must need go to Samaria. That means that he was under the direction of God the Father. He was compelled to go seek this woman out and to engage in her in this conversation, taking his own life in his hands to teach his disciples what he's about and what they're to do once he's gone. Jesus has a pursuit of the lost, the least of us. Now, the thing about this woman is that she doesn't need to be convinced that she's depraved. She knows and feels unworthy, unvaluable. She's made bad choices in life, and she hates herself for it. So she is not seeking the kingdom of God. She doesn't think herself worthy of the kingdom of God. She is just trying to navigate life till her breath stops and she can finally be released of the pain that she is living, ostracized from everyone else. But she thinks herself no participant, no hope of being a part of the kingdom of God. How many of you know people in life who feel unlovable, unworthy, and devalued? This is her. So she's not seeking the kingdom. Here's the beauty of Jesus. The kingdom comes seeking her. Amen? That he comes to her. He pursues her with a vengeance. He pursues her. And she has to be reachable. How many of you know those people who believe themselves so unlovely, so unlovable, that when God does pursue them, they give the stiff arm because they're more immersed in the lies that hold them down than receiving the truth? That can set them free. And so they have to be willing to see a love that's unconditional, one that would come close to people who otherwise the world might ostracize or separate. We must be reachable. She had to receive it. That's why she asked, I know that Messiah is coming who will tell us everything. You just told me the litany of all my failures, and I didn't tell you about that. So you must be a prophet. You know the truth, but you're still here talking to me, knowing all that about me. Why? Because I am the Messiah who came to set you free. I'm the intersection of spirit and truth. And it's only by me will you find true freedom. And when she was affirmed, she turned and ran into the city. And it says that many Samaritans came to Christ that day. That came to freedom and salvation because of her testimony. Now that's only important because of this. See, we're about to talk about the power of the Jew and how they were set apart and salvation was from the Jews. We'll talk about them in a minute. But she entered that conversation saying this to Jesus. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans because Jews hated Gentiles. They were the chosen set apart by God. Gentiles were dogs. Samaritans were even lower. They were worse because they're half-Jews. These are half-breed. And so he goes, you worship what you don't even know. You think you worship on this mountain We say that we worship in Jerusalem. I'm telling you, there's a time coming and is now where we will worship in spirit and truth. And this is the kind of worship the Father is going to inhabit. Hello? And so he takes this woman and he pursues her. He's persistent with her, even though she tries to deflect him. He doesn't stop pursuing her. He doesn't stop the conversation. Even though she gives her best effort, he persistent with her, and then he reveals the person of the Messiah to her. He reveals himself as the answer to everything that is wrong in this world. Everything that is broken and sent to death, sin, he 
relieves her of all that by freeing her. And then immediately the woman who is ostracized and isolated turns and becomes one of the most effective evangelists we know of in Scripture. That's the power of transformation in our Lord. That's true freedom, and it's only found in the person of Jesus. Amen? I don't know who you used to be. I know who I used to be. But that's what Jesus does. Now, this interaction for me is always powerful in and of itself. I love the story of the woman at the well. However, to understand for me even why it's more powerful, you got to read John 3. Now, John 3 is where we find John 3.16, which you could turn and watch the Titans or some other football game today, and you're likely to see that on, on screen at some point. It's likely to be in the stands. It's the most quoted, most represented verse in all the Bible. But I want to tell you something about that verse, and I want to tell you about John 3 in this interaction. That verse was not given to the masses. That verse was given to another individual in a one-on-one conversation in the middle of the night. That verse was given to Nicodemus. And so in John 3, it says, Jesus teaches the teacher Nicodemus. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, verse 1, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council of the Sanhedrin. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with him. Verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now, that's a little, that's a weird response. I'm going to explain it in a moment. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and in spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Are you not Israel's teacher? How do you not understand these things? So, next point, and we're going to come back to that in a moment. The best sought Jesus. I'll say it a little different. The self-righteous sought Jesus. Jesus sought the lost, and Jesus sought the least of us, but the self-righteous seek Jesus. Now, the difference between Nicodemus and those that I talked about in John 8 was this. Though he was a part of the Pharisees, and though he was a part of the Sanhedrin, the highest of the high in their day, he, unlike everyone else, sees something in Jesus. The reason they argued with him in John 8, the reason they argued with him is because these men are more trained, more educated, more skilled than anyone else in their immediate environment. They are the best of the best of the best. And they're not going to be told that they're wrong by some carpenter from Galilee. Amen? And so... Jesus turns in the middle of the night to find Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin, which I'll explain in a moment, comes to him and says, Rabbi. He says, Teacher. He says, A word equal to his own status. We know that you must be of God because there's no way that the things that you do could be done apart from God. But Nicodemus is saying something, and it's important. He's saying, even though he said we, he's talking about the two of them. He's not talking about anyone from the Sanhedrin because he himself stands alone. He comes to him at night not just because 
He doesn't want to be seen talking to Jesus. It puts his own life at risk. He's coming because he comes without the stamp of approval from the Sanhedrin. He is coming seeking him himself. The Sanhedrin disagrees with Nicodemus. Plus, there's a practical reality of the fact that both these men would be very busy in the day, and they're not going to sit and have this conversation in the marketplace. People were hounding Jesus and hounding Nicodemus hour upon hour. And so, Nicodemus says, you must be of God. And Jesus turns and says, you must be born again. I didn't ask a question about that. So what we see is this, that Jesus has insight into Nicodemus' problem and his heart, his passion. And in order to allow Jesus to be all-knowing and share with us the insight, the truth that he has about who we are, we must be teachable. Here's what I want to share with you when I say that this man was the best. So every Jewish boy and girl went to Hebrew school. It's called Beit Sefer. It was their elementary. Beit Sefer lasted till they were about 10 years old, okay? And at Beit Sefer, they would memorize the Old Testament first five books of the Bible, the Torah. So they had to know word for word, women and men, the first five books of the Bible. And the vast majority at the end of that education, 10 years old, would go and find a trade and start their lives be considered an adult soon. But the best of the best, those who had a higher educational acumen, would be asked to go on and study Beit Midrash, which was the next level. And in that level, they would be asked to memorize the rest of the Old Testament. This. Not, not in theory. Word for word. Okay? And, by the way, before 15... Because it was at that stage they'd be asked to enter the third level, Beit Talmud, where they'd be selected by a rabbi to become a disciple of that rabbi. And then they would eventually take that rabbi's job. They would leave everything they know to go live with that rabbi so they could become that rabbi's replacement. And so that means that Nicodemus was selected by someone on the Sanhedrin to take their job. That meant that he was already better than everyone else around him. Let me encourage you. I want to put this in real perspective. Nicodemus was more educated, more trained, and had more religious experience than any one of us combined in this room. You could take our collective education and he had more. I didn't memorize this by the time I was 15. I have over 20 years of experience in this and I have two masters and he can run circles around me. You there are people in this room that are far more educated than me. And I'm telling you, Nicodemus comes to him and he is the best of the best of the best. And Jesus, in a nutshell, looks at him and he says, you got to go back to the beginning. What? Now, I don't think you understand who you're talking to. I gave you, Rabbi, I respected you in that. Um, I'm from the Sanhedrin. I am the best of the best of the best. I am what it is. So how do you ask the best of the best of the best to walk an aisle? How do you do that? So it's not that Nicodemus doesn't understand. It's Nicodemus is unwilling. In the moment, you see, the Samaritan woman didn't seek the kingdom. She didn't think herself worthy of it. Nicodemus 
had all the training in the world to believe he, he was worthy of it. Here's the secret, this damning secret that Nicodemus had and Jesus knew, that he wasn't a part of the kingdom with all his training. Hello? With all his religious education and training, he still wasn't a part of the kingdom. And so Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, you have to go back to the beginning. You missed something really important. You missed the key. It is to give your life for me. It is to love me with all that I am. It's that there is no attaining religious salvation or freedom by what you accomplish here on the earth religiously, educationally, Nothing is going to give you a freedom. And that's what Nicodemus was coming for. He was coming that night going, okay, I don't want to go back to the beginning. I don't want to waste all that I've, I've learned. What's the next thing? Just give me the anecdote. Give me the answer that can like, get me to, into the kingdom, even if by the skin of my teeth. Just add, give me the thing to add because there's nothing to add. Turn your back on all that. Trust me. Your religious education will help you. But it is about complete surrender to me. R.C. Linsky wrote it like this. He said, Jesus' words regarding the new birth shatters once for all the supposed excellence of man's attainment. All merit or of human deeds, all prerogatives of natural birth and sedation. Spiritual birth is something one undergoes, not something that he produces. As our efforts had nothing to do with our natural conception and birth, it's inogalous, but one on a high, a far higher plane. Right here, regeneration is not of our own works. What a blow to Nicodemus. His being a Jew gave him no part in the kingdom. His being a Pharisee, esteemed holier than other people, availed him nothing. His membership in the Sanhedrin and his fame as one of the scribes were all for naught. The rabbi from Galilee calmly tells him that he's not a part of the kingdom of God. Now, the beauty of this story is that in, in John 7, you'll see Nicodemus defend Jesus. Because he stood alone and he started to allow the things that were taught, said to him in that night, really work within him. And then at the end of Jesus' life, after the crucifixion before the resurrection you see him come alongside joseph of arimathea and prepare the body of jesus for burial so we know i trust that he came to faith in jesus i think he trusted the truth and eventually yield he just needed some convincing and it took some time because he had accomplished so much he had to get through all that stuff how many of you have ever had jesus say something to you that you didn't like and you had to come back to it so i believe he came to salvation but it wasn't immediate it was a process the insight of Jesus into his life brought a compassion from Jesus into his life. That's why he spoke to him the way that he did. He said, look, you've got to be born again. You've got to go back to the beginning. I know what you've done, but you've put all your eggs in the wrong basket. You keep hoping it'll save you, and it won't. So he gives him instruction, and the instruction is, come to me. Turn to me all the way back. This conversation happens in the night. Alone, And I can, I'm going to read on and tell you a little further what that conversation looked like. Here's your famous verse. It says, you are Israel's teacher, verse 10. And Jesus, you just, you still, and said Jesus, but yet you still don't understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. 
I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. Then how will you believe when I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, me. Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, the Son of Man must also be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, Nicodemus. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light. Because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. And hates those who live by the truth. So that it may be, plain seen, uh, so it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Listen. What he's saying is we have to be reachable. We've got to be willing to be teachable. And he's trying to tell the most educated person in the room who's a part of one of seven sects of Pharisee. And we know that of, of those seven, six of which ruled blatantly by the law but dis, did not live by the law. They were vast hypocrites. We know that six of the seven sections of Pharisee were vast hypocrites but yet were still given the ruling power over the law because they knew it better than everybody else. And Nicodemus has a damning secret. I know it, but I don't have it. And he didn't even have to proclaim that confession to Jesus. Jesus saw it. And he sees it in you, and he sees it in me. So this morning, if you are here, or you're watching online, and you say, I am absolutely unlovable. I'm unworthy. I've made too many mistakes in my life. I'm devalued. There's no way that anyone could love me. I want you to know right now that is a lie. And he's not saying that to you. Just like he pursued her, he's pursuing you right now. And if you're online and you're listening to this, I want you to turn to him. Just turn to him. And then all I ask you to do is email me prayer at thefellowship.cc. Please email me that you are turning to him and you desire to know how to walk these next steps. I'd love to help you. In this room, if that is you, can I just encourage you and say this? I don't want you to come this close where the Spirit is present and he's speaking to your heart and mind and the Father is seeking those who are going to embrace Spirit and truth. I don't want you to miss out on Jesus because he loves you unconditionally. And if he can save me, even me, then he has life for you. And today, I want you to not go one more moment questioning that. She tried to push him away. He was persistent. And he's going to be persistent to you right now. I want you to come. I want you to talk to myself or to Scott at the end of the service. We're going to have the band come back up. I want you to talk to one of us. Keep your mask on, please. But I don't want to miss this opportunity. It's so important. We're talking about eternity here. A man who had been trained on everything was told by Jesus the truth. They didn't have the kingdom. It's not what you attain. It's what you accept. So I want to say that. Before I go into this next group, I want to say, if you are here and like me, you go, I don't have all the religious education in the world. I don't have that kind of acumen. That's not me, but I do know this. I do know this. 
I've made plenty of mistakes in this pursuit of Jesus and practicing his ways, but I know for a fact, I don't have a question in me that I am his, I'm his child. I just want to know the next steps that I need to take with him. If that is you, I'm asking you to pray because this is what I meant by even though we're a little restricted, we are active. Church, be praying for those right now who need to come close to him and receive from him. They need to be teachable and they need to be reachable. So you be praying and you start thinking about who is next in your life. Not just who can you reach next, who are you called to be next in your life? What's that next step with him? This last group is the hardest group. But i got to talk to him whether online or in this room. I want to tell you something else that happened early on in ministry. Um, when, I was, when I took my first internship as a student pastor, uh, I had a summer internship, and back in those days, we still had Sunday night church, and like four people came to it, okay? <laughs> and at the end of an internship, you always gave the intern the chance to preach before he leaves and goes back to college. So this was my opportunity, Okay? That night, I gave a message much like this one, and I gave an invitation. I gave an altar call. I don't always do that. Today, I'm going to, but I gave an altar call that night, and I want you to know that I only do these when I feel absolutely led by the Spirit of God, and that night, a man came down. He was the first person to walk down. Now, he was in the room. He was present. There was only me and like three other people. Just kidding. There were more people than that, but like... He was there. He was far more educated, far more experienced. He was, he was successful. He was religiously successful, and he had way more acumen than me. I'm just a, I didn't know anything. When I gave the invitation, he was the first to walk the aisle, and everyone gasped when they saw the head of their deacons that night get saved. He was unwilling to allow his pride and what he'd accomplished to stand in the way of him and the kingdom. I got to have breakfast with him the next day, and I said to him, I said, I, he was like, man, that was so good last night. I said, hey, look, can I say something to you? He said, what? I said, the best part of last night was how you inspired me. You were unwilling to allow your pride to stand in the way or to get in the way what you've accomplished, what you've attained from being a part of the kingdom. So, church, can I be real honest with you? I told him this. I said, it's not about the songs we sing. It's about the one we sing to. It's not about the scriptures we read. It's about the person the scriptures reveal. And it is not about a good sermon. That sermon is not good if it doesn't reveal a good savior. That sermon can never be good if it's void of the power of the good Savior. I learned this in seminary, and I've been thankful that I learned it a long time ago, and I've messed up a million times in it, because it's, it's fun sometimes to hear that it was a good sermon, right? You can do a well-prepared sermon and never teach the Word of God. The Word of God is Jesus. And he is the intersection of spirit and truth. He's the only place we find true freedom. And he is where we are going to spend our, our time this entire year in 21. We're going to open next week in Galatians. Every time you see the word spirit or truth show up here and the word freedom follow it, it was because not, it was not for freedom from sin. That was obvious. Those who were depraved knew it. They didn't need convincing. Every time you see it show up in Scripture, and it's the entire theme of Galatians, was freedom for religious legalism. 
It was trying to tell those who were educated and trained what it meant to be truly a part of the kingdom. And that's a good word this morning for the American church. Those who have been counting on the way that we respond to the pandemic or American politics to set us free. You are already free by the word that I've spoken to you. Get active. So Father, this morning as we come, we want to thank you for Jesus. And we're not putting our hope in the things that are passing away. We're placing our hope in the person that is forever, that is eternal, that offered us eternal life. And Father, we want to be a people that you would seek, that you'd come close to. We want to be worshipers that you would seek out and be present with. We know that your word says you are close to the brokenhearted. And you come close to those who are contrite. God, today, may we be contrite. I don't know who in this room or who is listening online that is carrying a damning secret that hates when people like myself bring this up because they're trained and they've been doing this forever and they go, I just wish they'd stop doing this because inside I start to burn because I know this is me. I know that I know about the kingdom, but I also simultaneously know that I don't have it. Nicodemus couldn't hide that from Jesus and neither can you or I. So this morning, God, would you show the unlovely, those who feel unworthy, just how lovely they are and valued by you? Would you affirm your church today to take that step and find relief in your breath as you lead them unto your image, that we look more like you when we leave this place and we walk in, and Father, today, would you be kind and compassionate, insightful to the one who's been banking on what they've attained to be free today truly in the name of Jesus. May this today be the day of salvation. Amen. Please stand.